This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Greg Bench, Trey Whetstone, Amy Swan, Gilman, Joel Robertson, and ooh, Blake from Midweek Matinee. Thank you all. Now on to the episode. Welcome to the Father and Son Watch Horror Movies podcast. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, chairman of the world's first Max Shrek fan club. <laughs> I'm we going are. to make it happen. <laughs> make it happen. We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And for this episode, we have a double bill just in time for Halloween season. We are discussing Nosferatu from 1922 and Shadow of the Vampire from 2000. Director F.W. Murnau had an obsession to create the world's most realistic vampire movie. He dug up an actor. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get any. Who didn't just play the part. But you're not feeding. No, you're not drinking her blood. He lived it. John Malkovich. How dare you destroy my photographer? Why not the script girl? And Willem Dafoe. I'll eat her later. Shadow of the Vampire. Well, to tackle such a double bill, we're going to need some help. We So we called in the big guns. Please welcome back Dave Dr. Shock Becker. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me on again. Um, yeah, this is great. I mean, th- these are two, I mean, Nosferatu, one of my favorite movies, and Shadow of the Vampire is such a, such a clever and, and, and fun, um, uh, I guess, fictionalized account of make, the making of Nosferatu. Um, but you know, what? I was trying to think, I can't remember the last time I was on, I don't remember. I, did we do the evil dead before or after Tarantino? I think it was that was before. before. Yeah. We did evil dead. And then you were on for the Tarantino double bill with Tarantino bill, yeah. double bill. Yes. And that was probably about a year ago or maybe more than a year I ago. I think so. I'm not mistaken. I think so. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Absolutely. Always. And so it is uh, ironic that you chose these films because, my wife and I have been dealing with an invasion of bats. Um, we live in an old house, and uh, we had a run of a, a, about a week when every night a bat was flying through the first level of our house, and we were having to chase it out. Wow. And, yeah, we've had a licensed extraction expert out here to deal with them. And so, yeah, and he's told us it's been the craziest year for bats ever. So couple that with the pandemic and murder hornets and boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, yeah. What a year 2020 has been. So, but Nosferatu and Shadow of the Vampire hitting home. <laughs> so starting with Nosferatu, the IMDB synopsis reads, Vampire Count Orlock expresses interest in a new residence and a real estate agent, Hutter's wife. Eh, I think they maybe just read part of a back of a DVD or something. But anyway, right. <laughs> Dave, when did you first see Nosferatu? Interestingly enough, I've, it, this is a movie I've been aware of. Um, one of the first film books I bought was a movie called Classic, Classic Movies by Neil, uh, Neil Sinyard. Mm-hmm. And he broke it down by genre. And he had some horror films in there. Now, he had King Kong in there as horror, but he also had Nosferatu in there. So I became aware of this probably 1984 is when okay. I became aware of it. By 1986, I had had a job and I got a, a catalog in the mail of, for videos, you know, buying videotapes. And lo and behold, somebody had a, this, this catalog had a videotape of Nosferatu available for $59.95. Wow. 
it took two of my paychecks because I was working part time. I was still in high school. I made three dollars and sixty five cents an hour, which in PA at the time was minimum wage. And it took me two paychecks, but I bought Nosferatu. So I was so probably 1986 was the first time I finally got to see this movie. I bought the videotape. I always wanted to own it. And it has since become one of my 10 favorite horror films. Wow. Jackson, what about you? When did you first see Nosferatu? Uh, actually, my first exposure to the Nosferatu wasn't the movie itself. It was the Blue Oyster Cult song, which actually does a fairly good job at recapping, you know, the plot of the So I kind of had it, you know, spoiled for me going in, if you can even call it that. Uh, but uh, I know exactly the first time I actually watched it because I logged it on Letterboxd. Uh, it was January of 2019, uh, so about a year and a half ago. And at the time, I called this the best silent horror film ever, even uh, trumping the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So I was certainly interested in seeing how my opinions had changed, if at all, since then. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say right now, uh, they haven't. This is still my favorite. (laughs) Awesome. Absolutely. I saw this on a crappy VHS tape that I bought in the late 80s for probably 10 bucks, five or 10 bucks, Um, because I'm pretty sure that you know this is now completely in the public domain yeah it but probably I was would, when i bought it yeah you probably bought for 10 bucks the, the damn one i bought for 59.95 <laughs> it may have been the same one but uh oh man i was i was fascinated by it um especially when max shrek enters which he doesn't even enter to what 20 minutes into the movie this right. is not a long movie no. and we'll we'll talk about the cast in a minute but let's start with the plot and the screenplay, um, it's based on, of course, Dracula. It does deviate from the novel. It eliminates certain characters. It switches locations from London to Germany. The ending is also changed. But I know that what you said this is going to be a somewhat redundant question. And, and I'll have to admit my kind of ignorance of how silent films were written. But um did this grab you, Dave? I mean, what did you think of, you know, just the, it's strange to talk about a screenplay for a silent film, it seems, but what, what did you think of the plot and the screenplay? I, I mean, I love the plot. It is Dracula, you know, in, in, it basically Murnau did not get the rights to, you mm-hmm. know, Bram Stoker's widow would not sell the rights to Dracula. So he was going to make his own version of it. Uh, instead of setting it in England, he set it in Germany called it, you know, named him Count Orlock, made him uh, this sort of rat-like creature, uh, you know, instead of the, the, you know, the Count from, uh, from, the, from the novel. I really, I mean, I, I, I like it. it. It is Dracula. It really is Dracula. If you watch yep. 1931's Dracula, which, which was based on the novel, you get those similar scenes, the carriage pulling up, um, the, you know, the, the driver looking very much like the Count himself, um, you, you get, uh, the, the trip out to the castle, you get the, 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 uh, the fact that the, the count is going to be moving into, um, you know, uh, uh, a crowded town, um, or a, a populated town, um, you know, for obvious reasons, all of that is there. All of that is in Nosferatu. Enough of it was in Nosferatu, obviously that there was a court case against it. I'm sure you guys were going to get this some point. There was a yep. court case against the film. And it was ordered that every print be destroyed because they found in favor of Bram Stoker's widow and said, yes, every print of Nosferatu must be destroyed. And I'm thank God that didn't happen. 
Yeah, because because foreign copies existed that that they couldn't get a hold of, and so right. that's why it lived on. And I also think that this was the only film the production company ever did. I think it went bankrupt shortly after its release anyway. I would believe so, yeah. Yeah, and so, Jackson, what about you? The story, the plot, the screenplay, what do you think? I love it. I love how uh, it's kind of slowly paced in the beginning. We get to know Hutter and Ellen before they moved, before Hutter goes to Germany. And then once he gets to that kind of uh, small town, whenever he mentions that he's going to Count Orlock's castle, everybody is startled there. And I love the fact that, and we'll get to this later, those may or may not have been extras. I'm, I'm not sure how much of that was true from the, uh, from the movie we're going to cover next. But uh, I, I like to believe that those are just locals that uh, he cast in the movie. Anyways, I really love the build-up to it. We finally get to see Count Orlock when he's uh, driving the carriage, or at least I think that's him driving the carriage. Um, yeah. And uh, and then we finally are introduced to him properly, and he's standing kind of like a Mr. Burns-type hunch in his back. He's got his hands out in yeah. front of him. <laughs> and Hutter's like, what is this thing that I am looking at? Uh, I absolutely <laughs> love it. Honestly, this is probably the scariest adaptation of Dracula. I, I would agree. I absolutely agree with you. And, and I haven't seen them all. I still have not seen the 1979 Frank Langella version oh. of Dracula. I still have yet to see that one. Um, or if I've seen it, I don't remember much about it. Let's put it that way. Um, but this for me is, I mean, this is up there with Salem's Lot. And Salem's Lot's not a Dracula. This is Dracula. Mm -hmm. This is like, if you're looking at adaptations of Dracula, this, I agree with you, Jackson. I think this is the best and in and, and moments, probably the, the most frightening as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I have seen the 79 version of Dracula with Frank Langella. It, it is not scary. It is good. It's very well done. But I wouldn't call it um, a, a frightening. Because uh, Frank Langella plays Dracula as a suave character. Right. Um, and so, That's what I figured, yeah. Yeah, he, he's never menacing. Uh, but I mean, it's got Lawrence Olivier and so forth. It's 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 wonderful and it looks great. Um, so it's it, it is a good movie. Um, yeah, I silent film is a bit of a blind spot for me. I, I you know I was enough of a film nerd that I've seen everything by Chaplin. I've seen Greed and Battleship Potemkin and Sunrise and and I do love Metropolis and M and The Lodger, but. I never studied enough about silent film when I was studying film to, uh, to really know how silent films were made, how they were scripted, if they were really scripted or just outlined. Um, I, I always assumed from watching them that they were kind of largely written and performed um, kind of like old plays or vaudeville because I just figured that was, you know, the that was in the air. I, I don't know, but, mm -hmm. um, I, I agree that, you know, s silent films don't resonate with me as strongly as sound films do, though. I do love like modern times and M and so forth. But this film, I remember watching it on that crappy VHS tape. And, and by the way, if you're going to look this up, folks, if you haven't seen it, uh, it is on Amazon Prime, and at least one of the copies on there that I watched was terrible. But that Count Orlock himself, when he comes on screen, I'm in. I mean, because 
man, oh man, oh man. And we'll talk about this in a minute when we get to when we get to Shadow of the Vampire. And I want to bring up something Roger Ebert said about that. Man, Max Schreck disappears into that role, and he is just terrifying. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The look goes a long way in doing that, but it's the performance as well. It it really is just the way he carries himself and the way that he presents himself. I I there's there I saw trivia, and this is from IMDb, so I don't know. I wasn't really checking it out, but apparently he only blinks once. On I saw that. Yeah, I read that as well. Uh, only once. Near, it says near the end of part one is the only time you see Orlock blink. And when Hutter opens that door the first night and he has a feeling something's not right and he opens the door and you see him in, in like at, at the far end staring mm-hmm. in, just staring straight ahead. I would I probably would have jumped out that window. I wouldn't have cared all those rocks down below. Mm-hmm. I think that would have probably been a better Face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I want to talk about favorite scenes in a minute, but I mean, I, I, I remember last night watching it and um, rewatching it last night and thinking about Hutter, even though the, the, what's streaming on Amazon prime, which I watched last night, they've actually changed the title cards to Dracula and, and Harker and so forth. Oh, wow. And that, but I was watching it last night and I was thinking this guy is, you know, either suffering from macular degeneration, because I know you can't judge a book by its cover, but both his boss, Renfield and Orlock, nope, <laughs> I'm out of there. <laughs> right, gone. exactly. I'm going the other way. <laughs> it's like, honey, you know, you know, whatever name, Mina or whatever they changed your name to, yeah, I quit right, my job. Right. <laughs> you know, it's Ellen, Ellen, Ellen in the original and it was knock. It was the boss That's in the original, it. yeah. That's and then, but yeah, knock, knock himself. You're right. He was creepy enough. And that scene where he's like laughing hysterically about sending oh. Hutter off to, to to meet with Orlock and and that and that letter that they have with all of the symbols that was actually done by Albin Grau, the producer of the film, mm. who was into the occult. He actually put together that letter, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Boy, that would be what what a great. Uh, 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 you know, bit of, uh, I guess, movie memorabilia that would be if anybody's got that letter. My guess is it's long oh. gone, but how cool would that be? Um, oh, man. I didn't you know, know that. that. That is creepy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, but, yeah, th- those th- those two characters alone, you're right. If As soon as I got, once you got to, to uh, you know, uh, Orlock's Castle, all of a sudden, if, as soon as I see him, I say, oh, I see what the locals were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 okay, yeah, how do I get out of here? How do I turn around and get out of this as quickly as I can in the middle of the Carpathian Mountains? Yeah, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I traveled for a living for eight years and um, traveled all around the United States. And here's what I learned. You know, if you want to find a good hamburger listen to the locals. If you want to find good pizza, listen to the locals. Other words, folks, always listen to the locals. Yes. If they're, if they're telling you don't go someplace, they know why. Yes, they know why. <laughs> listen and learn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. So, Dave, do you have a favorite scene in Nosferatu? Probably the, the, the scene that I think of the most as um as you know there's a lot of them i have a lot of scenes in this every time i watch it oh, yeah that's a great scene that's a great scene but it's 
towards the end, when Ellen is luring Nosferatu and the mm. way he looks in that house across the way, his, mm-hmm. he's not even, doesn't even turn, his body turns before his head turns as he's walking. Like he can't, he is affixed on her. And you know, bad stuff is coming. And she knows bad stuff is coming. <laughs> you know, oh, that's yeah. the thing. She's luring him. And it's just the way. Every every one of the scenes where he's just staring, that one with Hutter that I mentioned where, where Hutter opens the door and sees him at the far end there staring in at him. And that one especially. There's something there's something about the way that, that Max Shrek did that staring, you know, did that, that, that just looking straight ahead that and it's probably the fact that he didn't blink. Apparently he didn't blink in any of those scenes. Wow. It's just really, really creepy. I mean, so I love Lugosi. Lugosi is my favorite of the old actors, you know, with uh, and he played Dracula and I loved his Dracula. But nobody came close ever, I think, as a portrayal of of that vampire of Dracula as Max Shrek did playing Orlock. And uh, it was it really is just um, an amazing performance, if you think about it, because this this guy Mm -hmm. is he must have. absolutely terrified i mean if dracula 1931's dracula scared audiences this movie must have had them they they couldn't have slept for weeks after seeing nosferatu for the first time oh absolutely absolutely so jackson what about you do you have a favorite scene in nosferatu i do i have two actually briefly i just want to say the first one is when hutter is in the inn and he finds a book that the the locals have left for him uh the book title is of vampires terrible ghosts magic and the seven deadly sins uh what a book title (laughs) yeah really (laughs) and it's a heck of a wide swath to cover in like one little pocket-sized book i mean stephen king wrote an entire tome on just one killer killer clown so i don't know how they're going to fit all that in that little book right Uh, exactly and his facial expressions when he's reading that, he thinks this is the funniest thing he's ever seen. And I'm like, it's not that funny, Hunter. Come on, calm down. <laughs> but uh, that was my first favorite uh, scene. Second favorite is Orlock. I mean, Hutter escaping Orlock's castle. And he's, he climbs down this makeshift rope out of the window. And then he rides the raft away. And that raft looks so flimsy. I mean, it's like sticks bundled together. I would not trust yes. my, my weight on that. And I weigh like no. 30 pounds. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that scene just because he discovers Orlock a- a- in the casket and he's immediately like, nope, I'm getting the heck out of Dodge. And I admire Hutter for that. Most other characters would, would do the stupid thing and, and stick around to see what's going on. Nope, Hutter is out of there. He doesn't need he's, any more explanation. That's right. He's going, you know, I do want to real quick, I do, I do want to throw out something. Mm-hmm. Actually, that my, if I was thinking, you know, I, the scenes with Nosferatu are what stay with me. But my favorite shot in the movie happens toward the end, and it's that long shot of that street where you see them walking with the caskets. Yes. Oh, I thought yeah. that was such an amazing shot. Every time I see it, I marvel at it, at, at what Murnau was able to pull off with that. Because that's the plague, and everyone thinks it's the plague that, that's killing all of these people. And what an amazing shot that is. And it's all long. Like, there's no close-ups or anything. That's just mm-hmm. the street. And you don't see it. They look like specks, you know, like or like ants walking down. But it looks so amazing. Yeah, agreed. Um, for me, it's when Orlock is on the ship. I mean, yeah. those scenes on the ship, <clears throat> any of them, you know, whether it's when the 
captain is, you know, tying himself to the wheel and he sees Orlock or when just Orlock is emerging from the deck and just walking around. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I, I love those shots. I thought about buying those and putting them on the wall. But I'm like, no, because the, the only part the only part of my house where I can put anything horror related is in my office. Uh, because my wife, even though she edits his podcast, hates horror movies with an absolute passion. And I don't even want to be in my office with Orlock staring at me. So it's like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, right. nope, yeah. nope, I, nope. I don't blame you. I don't and blame if I could, if I could just say, uh, that shot, you got the, the boatman tied to the wheel and his corpse is there tied to it. We get a, a close up on his corpse and it looks so modern. The, the image quality was so high on the DVD for me that it was so crazy that, that I don't know. It was so disturbing. It looked like a new movie. I was like, wow, this, yeah. this movie from 1922 is still so effective. Like what? 78 years 90, later, some, 90, 98 90 years, later. years later. Oh yeah. my gosh. Holy crap. Yeah. It's, this movie is approaching a hundred years old. If you can imagine. Wow. And they filmed it. It must've been filmed. I don't know how quickly it went through the production process, but that probably means it's close to 99 years old. It probably. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing last night that this movie was probably maybe shot in 21. So mm-hmm. it's it's getting close to almost it, it is 99 years. This thing is getting damn near 100 years old. And yet yep. it still is as effective as it is. It's amazing. I, I think I read it was shot in 21. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And so here's what I did because I've read the novel Dracula. I haven't read it since I was, I think, in junior high. But at least according to IMDb, and I know it's not always reliable, but this is what introduced the rule regarding sunlight and vampires. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I think that what, what they wrote, and if I remember correctly, because they bring this up in Bram Stoker's Dracula, 1992 Coppola's version, which is more, it is more faithful to, to the novel in many ways, right. where it brings up Gary Oldman's Dracula can go out in the daylight. He's just, his powers are weakened. Um, and I do believe that's what the novel portrays too. So this is a, you know, a they, you know, Murnau and the screenwriter basically created this mythology. But of course, if you listen to John Landis, the Wolfman created ninety nine percent of all werewolf, you know, mythology because he was yeah, just ma- I, that, making it up as he went along. So that I, I, that is the light, the light uh, being uh, deadly to a vampire because in the novel he does walk around like you said, right? He does walk around in the mm-hmm. daylight. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember, but... All right, folks, so what else about the plot and the screenplay? Anything else we want to hit before we want to talk more about the cast? Doc, anything else? No, I think we covered it. I'm, I'm anxious to, to get on to the cast. I think we've already been talking about Max Shrek. I think uh, I, we, we're going to have to address uh, uh, Gustav at some point. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, Jackson, what about you? Anything else with the plot and the screenplay before we hit the cast? I do have one little thing. Okay. Right. One of the insert shots of the, of the ship captain's log really got to me. It was kind of chilling, and I wrote it down in my notes. Uh, it says, 14th July, mate acting insane, an unknown passenger is under deck. There's something so ambiguous about that statement. I mean, ooh, I got sh- like wow. shivers when I saw that. Very effective. Um, I don't know if that was on your guys' versions, because I know they, it they was. differ with the yes. title cards. It, it, it was, and you're right. That... As far as like on a ship, there was that great scene in, in the first in 1931's Dracula. And yep. I think what makes that scene great is Dwight Fry mm-hmm. at the bottom of the stairs there. 
But the scene, this one, I think, as far as like the, the, this one gives you the terror of that trip, you know, of being trapped on the ship with this creature is what it amounts to. And there is no, no, like the, the captain's saying, oh, this guy's mad. He said he saw someone, you know, below the deck. Most of the people who ran into Orlock, they didn't survive. They didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there's no learning. You know, I, that's what I always say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, why I love it, is the characters don't know what's coming until it's there. Every single character doesn't know what's coming until it's there. That's the same thing on that ship. The captain even got a little bit of advance warning and said, oh, this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, but none of them knew until it was too late what they what they had brought onto the ship with them. Yeah, it... I, I remember being very young. I mean, I had a, a whore host growing up. It was uh, Superhost out of Cleveland, WUAB, and they would play universal horror movies in the, on Saturday afternoons. They would, play, they would play Three Stooges shorts, and then they would play two like universal horror movies in the afternoon. <laughs> and I remember seeing Dracula for the first time when I was probably like six or seven years old. And what creeped me out, this is in 1931, I guess, Todd Browning's Dracula. Renfield's just he, 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 when he was walking yes. up those steps, just yeah. gave me nightmares forever. That, I still remember that. That is still a very creepy scene in that movie. I mean, a lot of it is not quite as frightening nowadays as it was back in, the, in 1931. That still is. And it's Dwight Fry who sells it. Just that, the, you know, it's, I mean, Dwight Fry's son has said that uh, for years and years when, when people would like see his name or they would mimic that laugh to him. Oh, wow. You know, for, 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 for decades after that, they would just mimic that laugh. The only thing that ruined it for me a little bit is that years later on, on TV, um, and this is this is dating me, but once upon a time, folks, um, <clears throat> there would have the movie of the week, and that would be a huge deal. And so you tune into the movie of the week, which was always edited down. Um, but when I saw Love at First Bite with Artie Johnson's <laughs> Redfield, <laughs> yes, doing kind of the same I, laugh. <laughs> I saw Love at First Bite in the theater. When that did you really? Out, I did. In 1979, I think that movie came out. I remember seeing Love at First Bite in the theater. And uh, you know, everyone was erupting with laughter. Uh, you know, it was, everyone thought it was oh. like, so funny. Um, and it is. It's a funny movie. It, it, yeah. it, it does, it's, still, it's still a funny movie. It really is. But you're right. Artie Johnson is playing that same character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that movie. I know it's not. I showed it to my wife. I don't think she laughed once. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I still love it when, yeah. uh, when Dracula's going, I'm not even scary anymore. I'm just a black chicken. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. He flew into that apartment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, Artie Johnson kind of ruined that for me, but yeah, Max Shrek. I mean, he's absolutely incredible. He only lived to be 56 years old. Um, wow. he managed to rack up 46 screen credits but, you know, I, he just, just, man, if you want to talk about iconic roles, and I, I, you know, I know there was the 1979 remake, but yep. I don't think it's as creepy as 
as this, and I think it's because of Max Schreck. I agree with you, and and that's and that's with Klaus Kinski playing the part. And Klaus yes. Kinski by himself is a creepy guy. Yes, <laughs> he still doesn't match the creepiness of Max Schreck in this film. Oh, and now and even man, I yeah, I was always creeped out by Klaus Kinski, and, and now what we know about him, you know, after his death. exactly, oh. Klaus, Kins- Klaus Kinski could have appeared in a romantic comedy that he would have creeped me out. Oh my god! But he still doesn't match what Max Schreck did. In this one, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about Jackson. Do you have anything else you want to add about Max Shrek? Nope. Just that I've never seen him in anything else. So, when I'm looking at pictures of him out of makeup, he is totally unrecognizable. Yeah, right. I, I don't even know if I've seen a picture of him out of makeup, to be honest with you. <laughs> it, yeah, he's got a picture on IMDb where he's in a nice suit and it's a black and white photo, but he frankly looks like he needs a bowl of raisin bran. But other than that, um, <laughs> he's got hair too, which is very, very alarming. You're not used to seeing that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so we, the rest of the cast. Let's talk about Hutter, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce Gustav von. Is it? I would guess would be Wangenheim. Wangenheim. Yeah, Gustav von Wangenheim. I guess. I got how you. you. Guess how you pronounce it? Yes. Uh, clearly a silent film actor, yes. strong on emoting. I mean, like you, like you yes. were saying, Jackson, when he's laughing at that book, it's not that funny. Mm. He sort of, he, he went over the top with everything. And I mm. love how they sort of incorporated that a little bit into Shadow of the Vampire. Yes. Um, with, with Eddie Izzard playing that character, how the, the one scene and I, I, we'll get to it eventually, but where, where, uh, Mur- where Murnau says to, to Fritz, the cameraman, did you, you know, wh- how was that? And Fritz just sort of shrugs. He goes, yes, well, that's his performance style. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Jackson, what about you? What are your thoughts on Gustav? Uh, I liked him. I thought he was goofy. Uh, I did write my notes about how expressive his face is. Uh, you can tell he's not only a silent movie actor. I'm sure he did a lot of theater. Um, yes. Because he was definitely acting oh, yeah. for the back. Play, playing uh, for the back, back seats, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And even when he's talking to somebody, his entire body is moving. It's, it's incredible uh, how much um, like emoting he does. And I, I think it's great. It was very entertaining. When we just had Hutter, I wasn't bored because he is such a cartoon character. Yeah, I agree with you. I wasn't bored either. And it is, it's just, you're watching it, you're going, you're just saying, wow, this, this guy's going, he, he goes over the top with everything. But you get that with a lot of silent uh, stars, you know, where, where it's just everything, because that's what it is. There's no sound. They've got to, They've got to emote. They've got to do the expression. Whereas, whereas Max Shrek just sort of did it by standing still and staring. Um, and the makeup went yeah. a long way with that. Uh, Gustav needed to, uh, to emote, you know. And, and, but it, when he's on scene, the only one who matches him is Nock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like his boss. He's the only one who sort of matches that intensity, I think. Um, the other people on scene, like, like uh, Greta Schroeder, uh, seems much more reserved. Uh, yeah, that's what I was just going to bring up, because I think that that if there's a knock on this film at all, and I, I'm not going to have many at all, but if there's a knock on this film, I think Greta Schroeder delivers a much better performance. I think she's really I think she does a really good job at playing a sympathetic Ellen. Yep, I, I agree with you. I think she did. And I think part of it is, is again, just she, when she's on screen with um, with a uh, Hutter. 
You know, and Hunter's just like, I'm, you know, the scene where he comes running in, good news, I'm going to the land. And this was in the, the version I watched. I have the Kino Blu-ray, actually. Good mm. news, I'm going to the land of ghosts and thieves. <laughs> and then, like, hug, hugs her and runs off. And, uh, okay, how the hell do I react to that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, okay, that's great, honey. Um... <laughs> hey, great, I'll, I'll pack a warm coat for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have insurance, right? Um... Yeah, right. <laughs> and I love, I love how uh, he writes her a letter when he's there and, like, don't be sad that you're, you're beloved of the way. I don't think she's sad. You, you're kind of a jerk there. You, you kind of left Yeah. Her. Yeah, right. And she, she's like, she's scared. And he puts, I got two mosquito bites real close together. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't let it worry you, you know. And <laughs> really terrifying dreams I'm having as well, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So also we, we brought him up, knock Alexander Granik. And by the way, also, if you look him up on IMDb, he has a picture on there. Looks like a distinguished gentleman. Looks nothing like he does. Wow, in, in this I, movie at all. That is that's. I did now. I got to get to IMDb and look at these guys because I'm not used to seeing. That. It, it's it's pretty impressive. And here's the but here's the sad thing about IMDb. When I was looking at the IMDb credits, they don't list the makeup department. And oh wow, that that is that is because that's a big part of this film. It really oh is. huge, absolutely huge. Even though it has come under criticism, I, I I had never thought about this. I've seen Nosferatu probably last night was probably my fourth or fifth viewing, and I had never thought of this. But it has come under criticism that Orlock's makeup is based upon. Um, stereotype depictions of Jewish people in Germany at the time. Mm -hmm. And that that's what they were basing it on. I, okay, I, 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 I am not um, conversant with how Jews were, you know, depicted uh, other than horribly by, you know, later on in Germany, but um, right. I, I'm not, I'm not conversant with it. I never, that never crossed my mind. I, it never did. No, it did not cross my mind either. As a matter of fact, I've, I've never even heard that. I'm surprised to even hear that. Um, I would have never made that connection, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, I, you know, I know this sounds cliche, but I, I, you know, know a lot of Jewish people and none of them look that way. <laughs> so that's obviously right. Yeah, me, so. me, as, me as well. And, and yes, I mean, obviously, when when um, uh, when the Nazis got in, got the power, uh, I watched a documentary. Um, I think it was called uh, Hitler's Hollywood or something, and it was about um, Goebbels and um, the uh, not Goebbels, uh, yeah, Joseph Goebbels, yeah, yeah. How Joseph. he he ran uh, of, of the film industry and how you know they used it for propaganda. They did a version of Titanic in the '30s where. Everybody was rescued, like the, the British crew was incompetent, and everybody was rescued by a German crewman or something <laughs> like that. Wow. Uh, but yet, the models and that they did in that, the models of the Titanic were eventually used by the British in A Night to Remember because they were so hmm. well done, and they couldn't match them. So they lifted them from the Nazi version and reused them in A Night to Remember, um, you know, of, of the Titanic sailing and sinking. Um, so, but 
there really was. I mean, you watch this Hitler's Hollywood and what they did, and that's what he was so big in. And Tarantino touched on it in um, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yep. Uh, well, you know, with with how they used film to sort of promote their agenda. Um, it's a very interesting documentary, but uh, and this is early. This is 1922. This is obviously way before the Nazis or anything uh, had, had come. I mean, this is so oh, yeah. close, so close to after World War One. I. I mean, this is within, what, three or four years of World War One. Yeah, I don't think in 1921, I took a class on Nazi history when I was in college. I, I don't think the Nazi Party had even been formed at this no, point. No, I don't, I don't yeah. think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think it was late 20s to, to very, you know, yeah. early 30s is when they, and then they were just in beer halls from what right. I understand. Yeah, it didn't enter my mind, but you know, I wanted to wanted to concede that I, I I don't understand it, but it never crossed my mind. And you know, we usually talk about you know uh, cinematography and editing, but I think we've already hit that. This is really strong. I I was thinking last night watching this, and you know, Doc, you brought up that shot with the coffins. I was I'm always transfixed by the shots on, you know, on the boat and mm-hmm. and you brought up the the, the the in between, you know, Greta and Max Shrek and so but man, oh man, I, I was thinking last night, what could Murnau have done with a camera just ten years older? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Absolutely. That's a great point. If he could have or even 20 years or something, you know, when, yeah. when, you, when you look, I mean, when you look at what he did with Sunrise, when he got yeah. to Hollywood, yep, that is masterful. Yep. You know, this, this guy really was just a, uh, a, an, an inventive creative genius. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I do have something to say about the cinematography or maybe this would fall under editing. I'm not sure. Um, but when we get those those red tinted landscape, did you guys have the version where like the the outside shots were tinted red and blue? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, yeah. my son asked me at one point. He goes, "I thought this was black and white. How come there's all these different colors?" And I explained to him, "Well, it's it's to evoke nighttime and emotion, and then you know right. so that's what it is. When it's blue, it's night, mm-hmm. right? Because they were shooting a lot of it during the day, and so in right. order to cover it, yeah, they tinted it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I the red tinted shots, we get these like landscape shots of the forest and mountains i thought those are really unsettling it's like mordor mount doom or something uh, and the, yes. neg- the negative shots of the forest carriage ride uh, mm. i thought were really really unsettling because it's, it's odd how like something as simple as a color can make you feel a certain way because with these silent films that you have such little like stimuli for the the viewer you really have to tune in to how you're feeling in each scene so just yep. that red tint really like evoked an emotion in me which i thought was awesome uh, yep. and i wonder I, I i genuinely don't know when they have that negative uh color to the shots did they just not like develop the color in the film or i don't know uh-huh. I I did read at one point. I don't remember what it said about how they did that, um, but I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we know it's negative now because we're familiar. Imagine the audience in 1922 who knows nothing about yeah movies mm. or photography yeah. even or anything, seeing that and how they would react to it, saying, "What am I looking at right now? You know, how, mm-hmm. what is going on here?" We know it's a negative. We have it, even if we don't know exactly how he did it, we have a general idea of what we're looking at, you know, because we've seen a strip of film. An audience in 1922 would have no idea. 
And Murnau knew that. And he was trying to do everything. That's why it's a symphony of horrors. It's not just Nosferatu. Yeah. It's a symphony of horrors. Right. Putting everything he can into this movie. And, and like you're saying, the tinting um, and, and that negative and, and, uh, and the shots and everything. This whole movie is just to, to absolutely scare the hell out of you. And I can't imagine. Yep. I mean, I had in, in my review, I did this. I review this one way back at the beginning on, uh, on DVD Infatuation. And there was a critic at the time in 1924, uh, Bela Balas, and out of Germany wrote that this movie was like a chilly draft from Doomsday. Wow. And I thought it was amazing because it's still that. 98 wow. years later, 99 years later, it's still that. Well, that's interesting you bring that. First of all, that uh, that should be on every D, every Blu-ray they sell of Nosferatu. That, that line from that critic should be... Yes. Front and center, because that's fantastic. I, you know, Roger Ebert in 1997, and he loved Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote this. He said, here's the story of Dracula before it was buried alive in cliches, jokes, TV skits, cartoons, and more than 30 other films. This is in 1997. The film is in all of its material. It seems to really believe in vampires. Is Murnau's Nosferatu scary in the modern sense? Not for me, I disagree, but I admire it more for its artistry and its ideas, its atmospheres and images, than for its ability to manipulate my emotions like a skillful modern horror film. It knows none of the later tricks of the trade, like sudden threats that pop up from the side of the screen. But Nosferatu remains effective. It doesn't scare us, but it haunts us, end quote. I disagree about the scare thing. I dis. I agree mm-hmm. with the rest of that review. Yeah, I I agree as well. I agree as well. I don't. I think this movie is still effective and and scary at times. Absolutely, um, but it is haunting as well. I absolutely agree with him on that point. Yeah, and shout out to our buddy Peter over at Retro Movie Geek. This film was banned in Sweden until 1972. Whoa! <laughs> wow. 50 years it was banned in Sweden. And there is, we talked about, there's so many versions of this, you know, out there, but there is a version out there I cannot wait to see, Jackson. You're going to really appreciate this. um, That features an introduction by David Carradine. Really? And a a soundtrack. This is where I think you'll like it, Jackson, because uh, Jackson and I both, Dave, are metalheads. With a soundtrack by Typo Negative. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so fitting. Wow. Yeah, I got to pick that up. I have the image uh, DVD, and all it had were, were two options. It had this, like, original score, which is really weird. It was, like, poppy and keyboardy. But then it had this organ score, which I don't think is the original, but it was very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think nice. when looking around at different reviews, I think the one you have, Doc, is the one to have the Kino. I think that's what everybody says is the best one out. The, the, the Blu-ray, and there's a, it's a two-disc set, and on the second disc, they go back and visit some of the locations. Which and I understand they, are still, still they're there. still there, and it's amazing because they look the same. <laughs> you know, in a lot, wow. of, a lot of ways, they look the same. I think I don't. I'm not sure, but I think that abandoned building where where he moves in and across from Hutter that might still be there. Wow, 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 wow. Well, yeah. I love I love to visit film locations. Jackson and I have visited locations for Strangers Pray at Night, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, 
but uh, nice. that's a heck of a trip to to pull that one off. That but, would that uh, would be a heck of, that would be a hell of a trip, and I, yes. I don't know if I jump in a carriage because I'd be afraid who's who's driving. Yeah, no joke, <laughs> no joke. Yeah, I'd even be scared of an Uber. Um, but anyway, right. of course, you mentioned this earlier, Doc. Toby Hooper took inspiration for his miniseries Salem's Lot from yes. Nosferatu because Kurt Barlow, aka the Master, is not depicted as Count Orlock in the novel. In the novel by Stephen King, Kurt, Bar- Kurt Barlow speaks. He's kind of suave. He's a bit debonair. Um, the um, miniseries that was done in the late 90s, early aughts, I can't remember, with Rob Lowe or whatever and mm-hmm. Rutger Hauer, that's more faithful to the novel. That was all Toby Hooper, um, which, by the way, I know Toby, Toby Hooper did some crappy films Um, but, and I never met the man, unfortunately, but I'm telling you this, when I lived in hot, worked in Hollywood for, for almost three years, Toby Hooper had one of the best reputations as one of the nicest and creative guys. And he just got, he, he just, he got short shrift. I was listening to Joe Dante's podcast and somebody brought up Toby Hooper and Joe Dante's only comment was a wonderful gentleman and he deserved better than he got. Wow. That's something. And you know, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, we've, I, I, I've talked about it before with, with Poltergeist because there's this whole yeah. thing of who directed it. Was it Spielberg? Yeah. Was it Hooper? You can see it was Justin Beam when he was on Land of the Creeps made a great point. You can see both of them in yeah. that movie. The move, the scenes that terrify you, that's Toby Hooper. The scenes of the family and the strength of the family and that you care about them, that's all Spielberg. That's what Spielberg was. That that's yeah. one of the things he was great at. You look at E.T., Close Encounters. He's got that family dynamic down to a science, and he does it perfectly. And the right. characters themselves, but the scenes that terrify you, the bodies popping out of coffins and the faces being pulled off and all that, that is Toby Hooper's influence in that film. Yeah, and it's, and I, it's a nice marriage of the two of them. Absolutely. I loved what Mick Garris said, you know, and Mick Garris was actually doing publicity for Poltergeist time. That was his job. And so he was on set all the time. And he said, look, did is Stephen a vocal guy? Yes. Um, Did he have a lot to say about Poltergeist? Yes. Did he want to direct Poltergeist? Yes. Did he direct Poltergeist? No. But Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist. But Toby, when Stephen was passionate about something. And he's the writer and producer. He's like, Toby, I think you should do it this way. Do you not listen to Steven Spielberg? Yeah, who's not <laughs> going to listen to Spielberg at that point? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure Richard Donner had ran into the same thing on Goonies when Spielberg oh, yeah. showed up on that one. Because you see Spielberg in that movie as well. Yeah. You know, you're not going to say no, especially in, what, 1982? Right. When, when Spielberg has just come out, he had Raiders of the Lost Ark, he had Jaws. Oh, okay, he had 1941, but... And yeah. I, which, by the way, I love 1941. I think it's one of the funniest movies from that time period. Do you I really? Laugh every, I laugh every time I watch 1941. We saw it on cable. I saw it on cable with my father and my brother, and we couldn't stop laughing at 1941. Is it loud? It's obnoxious? Yes, but it doesn't matter. There's parts of it that don't make sense until you get the DVD where they throw this, some scenes back into it. Now it yeah. starts to make more sense. Oh, but I love 1940. Oh, yeah. They're, they they had about 20, 25 minutes Back oh. in 1941, because there are moments where you're, when you're watching the original version, you're like, how the hell did we get to this point? I don't even wow. know how these characters met each other. 
they throw those scenes back in. There's a great scene with Slim Pickens before he gets picked up. <laughs> oh, man. See, I have 19... to see that because 1941 has always been one of those movies I tell people, is it a good movie? No. But do I like it? Yes. And, yeah. and it's, it, it's just has, it has such just, you know, it's one of those things, it's one of those movies like, say, this is a lame comparison because it's not the same level, but like Transylvania 6-5000. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even laugh during that movie, but it's just so, I don't know. It's just so nice. I just, I, it's just right. like, you want to like it. You, you want to like you it. You want to yeah. like it. And with 1941, there are some funny scenes. There are funny performances. Oh, yeah. Mickey, Mickey Rourke is in it. He has a single line. He yells torpedo. He's one of Dan Aykroyd's uh, tank crew. Oh, I forgot who says that. No, he says nothing in the movie except torpedo when they're on that, that, that. the scenes in that, in the in in the uh, in the Ferris wheel, with mm-hmm. uh, with Murray Hamilton and and Eddie, I can't remember, I can't remember what his last name is, and that dummy. Yeah, I crack up every time. Oh yeah, <laughs> every time I see those scenes, I crack up. And I can't about, help it. I love John Belushi so much. That yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. John Belushi, Warren Oates is hilarious in this yep. movie. It's Ned Beatty. Who can forget what he does to his house? And that it's it's oh, it's, it's crazy. It's over the top. And uh, and and John Landis even has a bit role in it as as yeah. the the messenger who comes up in a, in a motorcycle. I mean, we're way way off topic here. I, I know, I know. I know. love That's love our, nineteen. I, I love nineteen forty one. I really do. Encourage people to check it out. I'm going to check out that DVD. But yeah. But you know, I just Toby Hooper. You know, I never got to meet the man, but he had such a. I just I love that when he was doing Salem's lot he had the guts so you know and this goes back to you know was it was it completely directed by spielberg one of the arguments i make no it wasn't toby hooper could stand up for himself and one of the things he stood up to to the network and to stephen king what stephen king has kind of changed his mind on this and and kind of revised his history on it but stephen king does not like it when his source material is messed with as is infamous with the shining with kubrick's mm-hmm. the Shining, right and so, you know, in Salem's Lot, Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot, when he took and basically replaced the Kurt Barlow from the novel with Count Orlock, I thought that was genius. Yeah, absolutely. And he gave, he, I'm sure he gave most of Orlov, of Barlow's lines to James Mason. Then. Yes. You know, James Mason got to, got to play that, that's that, uh, sort of overseer of, of Barlow or, or his, uh, you know, the, I guess the protector in a way. And it, it was a great part in that. It's really funny. Come to think of it, that my two favorite Stephen King adaptations are ones that really did stray from the novel and it's Salem's yep. Lot and the shining. Yep. You know, well, and, and, and it's not that it's not that there haven't been Stephen King adaptations that were faithful that I didn't love. There have been. But those are the two best, I think. And it's funny, even Stephen King even said he's starting to come around to Kubrick's version after Dr. Sleep from, from wow. last year. He said Dr. Sleep has made him change his mind a little on Kubrick's version of his of The Shining. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, all right. What else do we want to talk about with Nosferatu? Jackson, you first. What, what else do we want to hit on Nosferatu before we move to Shadow of the Vampire? Can we agree that uh, Orlock's line, your wife has a beautiful neck, is the greatest cinematic quote of all time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, it, it, it would make a top 100 list, buddy. I, I would put it in there. I wouldn't put it up I, where, like, with the USS Indianapolis speech from Jaws, but I would put it up there, yeah. It'd be, it'd be, it's, a great, it's a great line. 
and should have it should have been another warning to Hutter. It's like his oh, wife is it's, 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 his wife is beautiful in so many ways, and all Orla can do is focus on her neck. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Well, let's rate and review this sucker, though. I don't think that uh, anybody is listening to this is in suspense of where we're coming in here. Um, and by right. the way, that was no pun intended with this sucker. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Doc, on a, on a scale of one to ten, what would you rate Nosferatu? It, it, it is a ten out of ten. Yeah. It's in my top ten horror films. Um, and I can't imagine a time when it won't be. Uh, and it's just it is for me my favorite uh, adaptation of Dracula. And I, I, I think it always will be. Yeah. Jackson. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. Uh, I don't, I don't know how you could improve this movie. I don't think there is a way you could even its shortcomings are charming, I think, and add to the mood. So I would definitely say you should buy this. I have the image entertainment DVD, but I should definitely get uh, the Blu-ray because again, it doesn't have the original soundtrack and the image quality isn't the best because of the DVD. So I'm looking to experience this the right way. Absolutely. And you have no excuse now because now you have a region free Blu-ray player. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Which I yeah, gave there you go. Which I you doc, you'll be proud of him. Why did you want the region free Blu-ray player just to watch what? A box set of Bava. Mario oh, Bava. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Beautiful. Uh, I can't wait to see what kind of movies you're gonna make, buddy. Uh, yeah, this is a ten out of ten for me too. Um, it's not in my top ten, but it is in my honorable mentions. I will have to hunt down and buy the Kino Blu-ray after hearing you talk about it, Doc, and seeing what I've said, uh, seen online, written about it. So, But let's move on to our second feature, Shadow of the Vampire from 2000, or 2001, when it went wide. But the IMDb synopsis reads, The filming of Nosferatu is hampered by the fact that its star, Max Schreck, is taking the role of a vampire far more seriously than seems humanly possible. I think somebody actually watched the movie who wrote that. You know, yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> I think so. I think so. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, hey, I'll take it. Um, so, Doc, when did you first see Shadow of the Vampire? I saw it in the theater. I saw it. Really? On, uh, I, I got to see this on the big screen. A, 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 you know, a, a guy I work with, we've, we talked movies before, and he knew I was a fan of Nosferatu, and he said, hey, there's a theater uh, close to where we work that's playing Shadow of the Vampire. And he told me it's, a, it's about the making. And he told me the plot that, mm. about how and it's got Murnau in it. And he actually gets a vampire to play the actor playing a vampire. I said, we got to go. And we went after work one afternoon. We went and I got to see this on the big screen. I was very, very happy that I did. Wow. Oh, man, I'm jealous. Uh, Jackson, what about you? Yeah, the first time I watched this was October of last year. Uh, and in my original review, I tagged this as having been watched on Prime. So obviously it used to be up there. Mm -hmm. And a good show, of, a good friend of the show, Andred, also said it used to be on Prime. Uh, but it's not there now. It was. It's not there, yeah. it's not there on Tubi anymore. It used to be. Uh, so It was also on Shudder for a while. Yeah, it's yeah. not streaming anywhere right now, but it mm. is... Uh, not streaming for free anywhere right now, but um, yeah, it was last, you're right, last Halloween season, it was on Tubi, Shutter, and Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So I actually had to track this down and rent it on iTunes uh, for four bucks, and you'll never, you'll never guess what kind of version they had on iTunes. It was in German with English subtitles. So oh boy. 
I really? watched Shadow of the Vampire. I've seen it in its original form before, but this time I watched it in German with English subtitles. And I just got to say, it was actually really awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, that would be cool. I would say all the trouble that I went through to, to try to track this down was totally worth it. Um, and actually, I have a couple hours left on the rental, so I'll probably be watching it again after the podcast. Oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> I saw this on DVD after I went to seminary and then I went to law school back to back. And so I was a bit busy and I had to catch up on stuff. And so it's probably 2004, 2005. I saw this on DVD. I can't remember if I rented it from a blockbuster or I got it mailed to me by Netflix that they were. I can't remember. But I remember watching it and seeing that was four or five years old and thinking, why aren't more people not talking about this movie this is incredible absolutely incredible and i I couldn't believe that it wasn't getting i didn't hear because i've got a couple friends who are at least casual horror fans none of them ever mentioned it and i thought man this is this is this is excellent so jumping right in the plot and the screenplay as i said it's about the making of nosferatu with the twist that max shrek is a real vampire played by Willem Dafoe, discovered by F.W. Murnau, who was played by John Malkovich, and by the way, both should have received Oscar nominations. Um, uh, Dafoe did. Dafoe was nominated for Best oh, Supporting Oh, was he actor. really? He was nominated for this film for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, and Malkovich was not, but you're right. He should have been. But Willem Dafoe was nominated that year. Um, oh, for supporting I, actor. Because I looked up for lead actor because I figured that's what it would be. I, you would think. You would think. Yeah, because he really does take a lead performance in this. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, and he And I was saw nominated. that Sean Penn was nominated for I Am Sam for the same year. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, You're going to give that's... Sean Penn for I Am Sam uh, an Oscar nod, but not Willem Dafoe? But I didn't look up supporting actor. Okay. He, he was he was nominated for best uh, actor in a supporting role. And I'm, I'm looking up now to see who he lost to. Um, best actor in a leading role that year was Russell Crowe. Best actor in a supporting role, Benicio Del Toro for Traffic, which is a really good performance. Oh, which is a great movie. That, it, yeah, it is. It is yeah. Movie. So I could, I, could see, I could see that. And I'm guessing... I mean, from what we know about the Oscar, uh, about the Academy, I bet a lot of people never saw Shadow of the Vampire. The word vampire in the title no. alone probably turned off a lot of people. They probably did. I, I, I have told this story before on the podcast, so I apologize, but I voted um, in the Academy one year. Um, my boss, I worked for two songwriters, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Um, they wrote most of the soundtrack to the Elvis movies. Uh, they wrote Jailhouse Rock. They wrote, you know, Hound Dog. They wrote all that kind of stuff. And they were members of the Academy. And But they never went to the movies. They they never went to the movies. I, I set up a lunch wow. with them and David Lynch. They had no idea who it was. Um, I remember telling him, I was like, I was telling Jerry Lieber, I said, you're going to meet with this guy named David Lynch. He's a director, you know, da 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 He's got a hit tv show on right now called twin peaks he goes what's that about and i told him and and jerry being jerry looked at me said oh i just always assumed it was about a girl with a big chest um but so wow they they knew (laughs) but they're they're voting academy members and they don't watch movies wow and that should tell you everything you need that should that should tell you i mean 
and, and I, I always go back to it was um, I guess it was 2002 um, when uh, Chicago was up. Yeah. And oh, God, I, why am I blanking on her name? Michael Douglas's wife. Uh, Catherine uh, Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones was up for Best Supporting Actress. They hosted a they hosted a party every week and invited different members of the Academy. They campaigned for Catherine Zeta-Jones to win the Oscar that year. She won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for Chicago mm-hmm. because of the campaign. They every week they had different Academy members over for a party. Catherine Zeta-Jones ended up winning Best Supporting Actress. And it's a good performance. I'm not taking anything away because I like her. She might be one of the best parts of Chicago, if not the yep. best part of Chicago. So I, I, don't, I don't take anything away from her for winning. But that's how it's done. It's campaigning. And I'm, I used to get The Hollywood Reporter. My mother got it for me for a year back in 2004 as a gift, as a birthday gift. And I got it delivered to my you – know, every week yep. I got it delivered. Um, well, it wasn't daily, I don't think, but it, I used to get it once a week, I think. But it might have been daily. I don't remember. But right around award time, right on the cover, for your consideration, the life of oh, yeah. best picture, best this, you know, it's campaigning, man. It's all about campaigning because oh, you put it's it out not, there. When I lived in L.A. in Oscar season, when the ballots went out, billboards. Yeah. I billboards. On Sunset Strip, billboards for your consideration. Right. Uh, all out there. But. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent about the, the Academy because, you know, I, I'll go off on my James Cameron as the Antichrist and how in the world did Titanic <laughs> beat out L.A. Confidential or Boogie Nights for Best Picture. But, yeah. but anyway, anyway, it's a three hour lifetime movie with good special effects. But anyway, um, <laughs> all that being said, Shadow of the Vampire, this, you know, you think about it. OK, we're going to make a movie about the making of a, a movie made in 1921, a, a, a silent movie. And I don't know how this pitch went down. You know, it's like, but the vampire's real. I don't know how that pitch went down because I've, I've been out in the hallways during pitch meetings and all other kind of stuff. I can't imagine who greenlighted this. God bless him for doing it. But, you know, I can't see anybody thinking this would make money. And unfortunately, it didn't. <laughs> But you know, you know who was, you know who was the, the number, you know who was the main producer of this film? I saw Nick, that. Nicholas oh my Cage. Gosh. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage was, and they interview him on the DVD where he talks oh. about wanting to make this movie with with Elias uh, Mar- Marriage. I guess yeah. this is how you pronounce it. Um, he had seen Begotten. He really liked Begotten, and and this this movie came across. And and Nicholas Cage is the producer. I remember talking to my brother about this film. And I said, Shadow the Vampire, he's like, who's in it? I go, well, John Malkovich plays Murnau. My brother's like, Jesus, God, John Malkovich is one of the creepiest actors out there. I mean, my brother's not a big <laughs> cinephile, but he goes, yeah. John Malkovich creeps me out. And I go, oh, Willem Dafoe plays. He's, the other, he's, he's creepier. Yeah. He's got the two creepiest guys in this yeah. movie. And I didn't even tell him how Nicolas Cage produced it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's ironic because Willem Dafoe has one of the best reputations in Hollywood. He's one of the nicest guys. Yeah, and, and he's and a great actor. I mean, he's what was he was nominated two years in a row there. I know for the Florida Project and for um, where he played uh, Van Gogh. Oh, he's uh, just at, at Eternity's Gate. I think was the name of the movie. He could have been nominated for the Lighthouse. I think he should have been nominated. Oh, for the and Lighthouse. Jackson would argue that for hours, wouldn't you, Jackson? Oh yeah, definitely. Both him and Robert Pattinson, in my opinion. Absolutely, I agree. But I, and they so he should have been nominated three years in a row. 
I, I really think he should have been. Oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, it, it, he's an amazing actor, and I won't even go into You know the stories about him, right? About his, the physical thing? No. No? No, I do not. All right. Um, let's put it this way. Uh, for years and years and years when I was in Hollywood, I heard of the legends about Milton Berle. Oh, okay. Okay, now I know where you're going. Okay. <laughs> as soon as I said Milton Berle, I know exactly where you're going. I had, I, and, and so one of the legendary stories from the Friars Club is that it was, I think it was the Friars Club, but it may have been a country club. But it was like Milton Berle is like sitting around with his buddies. You know, he's there with all of the Borscht Belt comedians and he's there with Bob Hope and he's there with George Burns and all these guys are sitting around. And some young actor walks up and says, Mr. Burl, I understand that you're carrying quite a package. Well, I uh, carry quite a package myself, and uh, I think mine's bigger. To which somebody like Bob Hope or George Burns looked at Milton Burl and said, just take out enough to win, Milton. Um, Well, the same rumor is there about Willem Dafoe. So uh, I, I, I had not heard that about Willem Dafoe, but I, I, I had heard that about Milton Berle. Yeah. So now, <laughs> now I kind of know why Willem Dafoe is happy and just a, you know, well-regarded. He's, you know, yes. There's no reason not to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, oh man, um, you know, I, we could spend hours talking about this, but I. I, I just want to say, I mean, here's what Roger Ebert again says about Defoe's performance. Willem Defoe is Max Schreck. I put quotes around that because it's not just a line for a movie ad, but the truth. He embodies the Shrek of Nosferatu so uncannily that when real scenes from the silent classic are slipped into the frame, we don't see a difference. That's very true. That is a very true statement. I mean, the way he, the way he, the way he, he, uh, his performance of Max Shrek mm-hmm. is, he is Max Shrek. I mean, you, you believe, you want to believe as you're watching, the best thing you say about Shadow of the Vampire, you want to believe it's a true story. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You, you want to believe that Max Shrek was a vampire. Yes. As, as, as you're watching this and, and Willem Dafoe, I, one of the, I mean, there's so many great scenes in this in this movie, and this isn't when we get into favorite. This is my favorite. The one that always hits me is when they leave the 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 um, uh, equipment behind, and he's playing that film, and he yeah. sees the sun. Yeah. He sees the sun, and he gets down and he play. He like shoots it on his face because he had said earlier, it's like what's you know when when they're trying to coach him, thinking he's an actor. What's the one thing you long for? And he says. You know the 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 light of the sun, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because he hasn't seen it in how many centuries, and and when he finally sees it on a movie screen, I mean, this movie it's a it's it's as much a, a a love letter to the cinema as it is to anything. If you think, I mean, that, one of my favorite quotes, yeah. and I have I have it on my blog, my uh, you know uh, my one hundred favorite quotes, and I have one from this film. It's a long one. It's actually the longest one out here, and I'm going to try and find it here. It is, yeah. um, and it's here. It is. It's the one that uh, Murnau. It's when they're when they're doing the montage of the train heading out to Czechoslovakia. 
you know, our battle, our struggle is to create art. Our weapon is the moving picture. Because we have the moving picture, our paintings will grow and recede. Our poetry will be shadows that lengthen and conceal. Our light will play across living faces that laugh and agonize. And our music will linger and finally overwhelm because it will have a context as certain as the grave. We are scientists engaged in the creation of memory, but our memory will neither blur nor fade. Wow. Amazing quote. It really is. It, it, and, it's a, and I love that. I love that because that is like, that is, that is the cinema. When you're talking movies, that is, and especially at the creation, this is at the dawn of cinema when Nosferatu yeah. was made. And he has already figured that out. It explains his character as the movie goes on. And as the movie goes on, you start to question, who's the monster of this film? Oh, absolutely, because, and that's what I wanted to bring up. So we talk about this, by the way, Oscars, the screenwriter should have received an Oscar too. Um, oh, yeah. But the, this, oh man, there are so many scenes in this film and what they do so brilliantly is that, yeah, at the end of the day, Murnau's character portrayed by Malkovich here, he could care less about human beings. All he cares about yeah. is his film and his legacy. Whereas we have these scenes with, you know, Max Schreck, where he's he's basically saying, look, I don't even remember how I became this. Right? I mean, that right. conversation he's having with Udo Kier yes. and so forth, he's going, I, you know, and he's and he's and and Malkovich later, he's saying, like, I don't remember how I became this. I don't, and he's talking about the novel Dracula and about what what a sad figure he thinks he is and how lonely he is and all this mm -hmm. other kind of stuff. And and it's just, yeah, he's in, in many ways, you're like, okay, he is a feral creature acting on instinct. Yes. He's he he has no choice. Right, he, he nature. He has become what what nature has made him, or whatever it was at the beginning. A woman is what he blamed it on. A woman mm -hmm. yeah. turned him into what he was, and that is my favorite scene in the movie. When they're sitting oh. there, and and Udo Kier and the writer are pretending like, okay, you're you're a method actor. Let's talk to you as if you're a vampire, and they're asking questions. And he says, "It made me sad. I didn't know if he knew how to make dinner." And then and Udo Kier's like, "I think you might have missed the point of the of the yes. of the novel there, Max." <laughs> yeah. But then he explains it to them, and they're kind of in awe. And I'll tell you what, that scene in the theater, when he uh, the, as it goes on, it ends with a a, a moment. When he catches that bat. Yes. When you were in the theater, the way the sound played, it started in the back and got louder and louder as it got to the front. Everybody jumped. Because that bat, like you heard the flight from behind you and him catching it. With oh. The way that they put the sound design in, everybody in that theater jumped when he caught that bat. It was, so, it's such an uh, amazing, amazing, it was really something. I mean, it was so funny because everyone then sort of like giggles a little bit because it's, it's like they got us, you know, everybody jumped at that scene. It was the sound, the way they did in the sound and it didn't capture it on the, on the man. DVD quite as well as they did in the theater, uh, at, you know, for that moment. But it really is amazing when he's talking, they said, well, why didn't you make more vampires? I am too old. And besides, I seem to remember that I never could. Yeah. I mean, this is screenwriting, acting, makeup. Now you brought up the sound design. How mm -hmm. was this movie not more acclaimed? And he, even Roger Ebert, who loved this movie, only gave it three and a half out of four stars. 
Wow. And I, I don't understand that. So, Jackson, bring you in here. Um, the dynamic in the screenplay between Murnau and Max Schreck, that comparison, what do you think? I think it's amazing. I love their dynamic. I love the performances. My favorite exchange between the two of them is uh, is Max's first day of filming, and he's like, I like some makeup. And, and uh, Malkovich, as Murnau, is like, well, you don't get any. And I love yeah, that. You don't get any, yes. <laughs> I love that. Mal- Malkovich pretends, he pretends to be in control. He commands... Uh, he commands Defoe to do things, but then we see in one scene there's a power shift, and we see just how powerful Shrek actually is, and then mm-hmm. you see fear creep over Murnau's face, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, for the first time, for the first yeah. time in the movie, you see fear. When he's talking to him, and when, when um, you know, when, when he's going, first he's giving him hell for, for the cameraman, you know, what he's doing to the cameraman. Shrek is yeah. obviously not obeying, and he's going after some of his cast members. He says, you were supposed to leave my crew alone. And he's like, why not the script girl? Oh, the script girl, I'll leave her later. And he's like, no, you won't. You will leave my people alone. And he, and he looks at him at one point, and, and uh, 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 Murnau goes, don't think I can't, har- or I can't hurt you. And he goes, how can you, or I can't harm you. He's like, how can you harm me when I don't know how to harm myself? Yes. You know, it's, it's, that's a great line. But I laugh, I laugh so much when Shrek makes the announcement that I won't sail. And Myrna had all these scenes on the boat. He goes, you will have no close-ups. None. He's talking to an actor. Like, 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 like Shrek gives a damn if he's ever going to have a close-up. You know? Well, then there's that, in, that great line that's an inside joke. It's an inside Hollywood joke. Anybody who works in Hollywood knows directors want the writers on the set. Producers don't. They think once the script is delivered, they're gone. It doesn't matter anymore. But the actors always want to talk to the screenwriter. And sometimes directors actually have to put screenwriters in the movie, as Steven Spielberg did with Carl Gottlieb, in order to even get the studio to pay them to be on the set. And wow. so there's that great line where, where Defoe Shrek goes, I don't think we need the writer. <laughs> right. right. And, and, Malkovich, and Malkovich goes, uh, well, I, he goes, I don't expect you to understand and loathe as I am to admit it myself. We need the writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great inside joke. It's just so yeah. well written. Everything in this and this. Yeah, I was, you know, that's my favorite scene, too, where, you know, he's there. But I man, I could go on and on and on. Jackson, uh, you jump in here, buddy. Favorite my- scene. Yeah, my favorite scene in the entire thing. There are a couple that I absolutely love, but the the most dramatic scene for me is when Murnau is locked in his room and every everybody's trying to bust in and they find him and he's he's doped up on laudanum. And I, by the way, I don't know if that's true. Do you guys know anything about Murnau's past? Is he actually an opium addict? Uh, I I I don't know for sure. I think he uh, it's possible that there he might have been. I I don't. I don't know. I think I might have looked it up after this movie, as a matter of fact, but I can't remember for sure. He definitely had a uh, he like 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 he's like he says to the writer at one point, you were working out, you know, you were you were battling your own demons making this. And now I'm battling when you wrote this and now I'm battling mine. Mm-hmm. You know, when the writer was giving him a hard time about not caring about the fact that the cameraman was just about to die. Yeah. <laughs> and Murnau's like, oh, no, I got to go get another cameraman. <laughs> you know? 
Um, he's like, and he says that line. I feel like that was the real Murnau that he did have these demons, you mm-hmm. know, that that he was battling with. Um, as what I, from what I remember reading about him, um, you know, and and his death was was something of uh, was shrouded in in controversy. There that uh, he died in a car accident. You know, yeah. with a young man, and supposedly yeah. they were engaged in, in um, you know, a, yeah. a, a. I read that. Yeah, that you know something was going on between them. I don't want to get too graphic here. Right. Um. But the, the, and yeah. I don't know how true it is. I don't know how much of that is Hollywood lore. You know, it's along the same lines of you know that, um, um you know, William Randolph Hearst shot uh, Thomas Inc. on his on his boat, thinking it was Charlie Chaplin. Who knows what the real story is? Right. You know? Um. But yeah, I had always read that he had died in a car accident and he had a 14 year old driving the car. Yes. And even creepier than that, this this is confirmed. His grave was robbed in 2015. Oh, wow. I did not know that. His grave was broken into. The skull was removed. Oh, and they found wax all around the gravesite, indicating that some kind of a cult ceremony or black mass had been had. Oh man! Mm. Wow, that is really creepy. Yeah, yeah, that that that's creepy. Mm. But so, speaking of that, John Malkovich as Murnau. Now, I'll just go instead. I've never seen a weak John Malkovich performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I haven't either. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't recall one. I mean, I, I mean, the movie being John Malkovich. Yeah, he's amazing in that where he's yes. playing himself, but he does it in a way that's you know so unique. I agree with you. I don't think I've I've seen a a, a bad John Malkovich performance uh, either. And and he directed a movie that I really really admire, um, The Dancer Upstairs. That mm. was his directorial debut, and I saw that in the theater as well. And when I saw Malkovich directed it, I wanted to see it, and it is a very interesting film it takes place in uh i want to say central america in a country of you know sort of caught up in revolution um really good movie and i i wanted to see him direct more i don't know how much more he directed after that um but if you get a chance see that it's not hard but dancer upstairs is a really strong film um so this guy has a lot of a lot not just actor this this guy really knows his stuff i mean yeah. just just from a just from a, a cinematic standpoint I, I'm just going off the top of my head here. I may be wrong, so listeners forgive me if I am, but I think he started the Steppenwolf with with Gary Sinise. I think have. that's where he started his acting career. But I I you know, look, I love him. I mean, think about the fact that in nineteen ninety three, you know, in the line of fire, he's playing a a former CIA hitman and typically those roles are given to like guys who are cut and ripped and you know that right. kind of stuff they gave it to him but he pulls it off because he is menacing in that role absolutely absolutely yeah. I, I i think i think he's I'm, I'm just looking oh another one color me kubrick which mm. is a really good movie he plays a guy um and it was over in england who is posing as stanley kubrick he looks nothing like him this is a true story <laughs> This wow. guy went around getting favors and gifts from people and, and money from people pretending to be Stanley Kubrick. And he looked nothing like Stanley Kubrick. And, and John Malkovich plays him in that film. And it's a really it's a great movie. It's a good performance, too. Um, uh, but, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking. I'm looking at his IMDb here. I don't 
all these movies that I've seen that he's in, I don't re- recall seeing a bad John Malkovich performance. And this is, yeah. for me, this is the, the pinnacle because he mm-hmm. does play Murnau. You see the obsession. You see the complete callousness when it comes to his crew. He has no problem offering up his crew to a monster to get what he wants. Yeah, absolutely. Until, until it's clear that he's not the one in control. He feels he's in control the whole time. He can control Shrek, no problem. And, and the whole thing, what he does with, with Greta Schroeder, I mean, that's cold-blooded. Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. not that Greta Schroeder is portrayed as, um, you know, she, she's not portrayed as the greatest. Uh, she's, she's almost like, like a, uh, what you would think would be like a, like a uh, classic Hollywood star yeah. before there was a Hollywood, <laughs> you know, with the way she is just this diva. Oh, but absolutely. Yet, but yet the way Malkovich, um, what he does to her and he knows what is going to happen to her. You realize that when she's laying there and they've got her all drugged up and it's about at the end and she's, she sees, she sees uh, Shrek and that, what a great scene that is with the mirror. And they just drug her up and she starts remembering him saying, this will be your greatest performance. It's a sacrifice for your art. And all of a sudden those words have a much different meaning. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Jackson, your opinion of Malkovich in this, you already brought up that Mm -hmm. great, great scene where kind of the power shift happens. But what do you think of Malkovich's performance? Well, I think it's I think it's amazing. And I think his strongest scene is the scene where they they do. They bust into his room and he's drugged up and lawn them and they're interrogating him, basically. And uh, and he says, basically, there is no Max Shrek. He spills the beans and that he, right. he had read he had read these old books about vampires and and uh, it hadn't come back into his head until he ran. Bram, he read Bram Stoker's Dracula. So then he tracked down, you know, the locations where they said vampires could be found. And my favorite moment from that scene is when uh, they ask him, they ask Murnau, what did you offer Shrek? And he says, eternal life beat and Greta. And I love that. And they're, <laughs> right. they're all, they're right. all they're like, oh, how could you? And, uh, right. and his devotion to his craft is, is it's just, it's crazy that he was so willing to, to do anything to get uh, the shot. And I, I honestly, knowing these, these like avant-garde, these um, German expressionist filmmakers, I don't doubt that Murnau, given the option, would have done something like that because these guys were cutthroat. They wanted to get the movie done. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. And, you know, and Malkovich and Defoe are just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we have the great Udo Kier as Albin. And I, I, I love Udo Kier and everything, even, you know, doesn't yep. matter. And, you know, we've got Carrie Elways as, as, as Fritz, who I think is, he's fine. Um, Catherine McCormick mm-hmm. as, as Greta, I mean, on and on. And then, and you brought this up earlier, doc, I love Eddie Izzard, Izzard, especially as Gustav in this movie. I agree. I, I love it too because the scene where, where when they're filming at night and he walks up and he sees Shrek for the first time, and oh. he's, he's as scared as you know only Murnau knows what's coming, and he's looking. This guy's scared, and he goes, "Follow him into the darkness." You see, Eddie is like, "What are you nuts?" You know, he's like, "You want me to walk in there with yeah. this guy?" Yeah. And, and, they, and everyone's like, "Brilliant, Gustav! Brilliant! What a performance!" He's like, "Oh, I was good, was I? That wasn't a performance. That guy was scared to death." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely. But I love I love um, Eddie Izzard anyway. I love his comedy, but I love it. But yes. I just think he's a I think he's a really talented actor. He, and he is underused, in my opinion. I, I agree. And he, as a matter of fact, it's interesting because I, I brought up that whole that whole scandal about Hearst. Um, Peter Bogdanovich made a movie called The Cat's Meow. Eddie mm. Izzard played Charlie Chaplin in that movie. And oh. he gave a really strong performance as Chaplin. He's he's an he is an underrated actor, I think. I absolutely agree with you. I think he, and in this one, he was great. I mean, he was you you could tell in that in that, that scene that I had alluded to earlier where you know he does the does the moment where he sees Shrek in the coffin and shrinks back and uh Murnau goes, Did you get that Fritz? And Fritz just shrugs. He's like, Well, that's his performance style. <laughs> you know, he kind of got that feeling that wow. that this guy wasn't the most respected uh as far as his talent in yeah. that, but yet Eddie is and such a great line. Where you know he had cut his finger, uh, Shrek's trying to suck the blood out of his finger. Oh. Then you see him uh, like biting on the cameraman. He's like, "I saw you." And then Eddie Izzard goes, "Oh, I am not happy." And he just walks away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, absolutely. Jackson, what about you? Eddie Izzard as Gustav. I love his performance. It's so amazing. He. It's so funny because he looks almost exactly like Gustav. I mean, he, he plays that really well. Did, it's very yeah. convincing. Uh, and uh, and I loved his interactions with Shrek. He's so baffled by by Max Shrek. He's he thinks he's working with another actor, so he tries communicating with him like an actor, and he just can't understand why he can't you know read his lines right. right and I, right. I love the part where uh, he's he's looking at the locket and he says, uh, "That's Greta Schroeder," and he's and he's like, "You don't know who that is yet," and he's like, "But that's Greta Schroeder." And and there's one part where uh, where Gustav goes, uh, "Just pretend," you know, he, he just can't understand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it, and he per- he portrays that silent film overacting so perfectly. But the thing yeah. is, he's the same on camera as off camera. You can tell that this guy was yes. so dramatic. Mm-hmm. That was uh, it. That was his personality. That that was and, him to a T. Yep. And you said that Greta was a diva, but I would say that Gustav was just as much of a diva. He is oh, that he classic entitled actor. Yes, they come walking in after the, when they first got to Czechoslovakia. Well, that trip was hard. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, you know, when it comes to actors, this was something um, I can't remember if I told this to Joel or not. Um, My uh, older brother, Brian's ex-wife was a stand up comedian. And (laughs) once upon a time, I bragged she opened for Bill Cosby. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> haven't brought that up to her again. Haven't asked no, her if she had right. any blackouts, but anyway, um, <laughs> but she was a stand up comedian when I was living in LA and she would do like the comedy store, you know, and places like that. And I was backstage one night with my brother and we were waiting for her to go on. And there are all these comedians back there just kind of talking. And one of them was Kevin Pollack. And Kevin Pollack said one of the most interesting things I've ever heard about Hollywood. He just nailed it. He had just come back from shooting the movie Avalon, Barry Levinson's movie. And it was the first time he'd been uh, filming on location. And Kevin Pollack said, I now understand why people in Hollywood are the way they are. And everybody's kind of turned around. He said, she said, so I'm on location and I have this thing where if I'm on the road or whatever, I write my mother a note every single day. And so I'm on set day one and I wrote a note to my mom and I realized I don't have a stamp. 
and I've, I've got to be, I can't leave and I've got to be on camera in the next hour. And so he walks up to one of the producers and he says to the producer, um, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry if this is out of line. Um, but is there any way somebody could get me a stamp so I could send this note to my mother? And the producer just started laughing his butt off and looks up and says, Kevin, you're an actor on set. We'll have the mayor of the city murdered if you want us to. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> he wow. said he got back. Wow. He realized, he said, you know why? You know when you see a spoiled child, you know how they're treated at home? That's why mm-hmm. actors are the way they are in Hollywood. <laughs> Isn't that something? I'd say, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I was thinking, and I, I think I might have mentioned this before. I, 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 uh, Corey Feldman's um, autobi- uh, autobiography that he wrote. Oh. I actually got the audio book for that. And he was talking about how on Friday the 13th, part four, uh, with Crispin Glover. Oh, yeah. Crispin Glover brought all his toys with him to the set. Yeah. Oh, and one of them sank to the bottom of the lake. He refused to act anymore or appear in any scenes until they found his toy. They had to shut down for half a day yeah. and send guys into the lake to retrieve Crispin Glover's toy. And that's what Corey Feldman said he saw how actors were sometimes treated. Now, this was before Crispin Glover was really anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, his pretty, father, that was free back to the future, even. Yeah, yeah. His, his father had appeared in movies, and he, he was uh, in the Diamonds of Forever. But he himself was not yet a star, yet he refused to act and they had to shut it down yep. to find his toy. And that's yep. when Corey Feldman said, wow, that was my first inkling of how actors get this entitlement, how they get this treatment on a exactly. set. Exactly, exactly. But all that a long way to say, Jackson, you're right. He, he, he pulls that off. I mean, Eddie Izzard really nails this. And this yes. is a guy who lives in London, not Hollywood, but he's... You know, or, you know, Weimar, Germany, but he's, you know, he's definitely pulling off the, the spoiled actor kind yes. of thing. But I think <laughs> his performance, Willem Dafoe is so good. John Malkovich is always so good. I think that in this cast, and Udo Kier is a legend, but mm-hmm. I think that Eddie Izzard is the one who gets overlooked because I just really think he he's just nailed it in yep. this film. I, 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 do, I agree. I think they all did. You, they, they all brought those real life people so convincingly to life you know these yeah. are these are authentic people these are actual people there might not even be film other than uh this, uh, than this movie to sort of guide him yeah. as to you know how how would this guy be on set so some of it had to be sort of his creation maybe the same with Catherine mccormick as as, as greta schroeder um uh, but he, he the way he does it the way that they um, in, in sort of embody these characters very believable. And mm. they, they took that performance they saw in Nosferatu and expanded it from there and turned them into real people. And I think it was uh, amazing. It really was just amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I've always been kind of hot and cold on Carrie Elways, but Catherine McCormick as Greta, I think this is the best I've seen her in, and I've seen her do good roles. I mean, I remember from Braveheart mm-hmm. 28 weeks later, but her as Greta, I think she is is fantastic. And it's and it's you Definitely. know nobody wants to play, you know, that kind of entitled, you know, and certainly nobody wants to play an entitled drug addicted, you know, kind of but she does it and she's fantastic in it, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the her best scene comes at the end when she know, when she realizes what's going on, mm-hmm. at which point it's way too late for her. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, 
and she has another line that cracked me up when I saw it in the theater. The the whole uh, Jesus, look at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Jackson, what about you? The supporting cast, anything stand out to you, buddy? Oh, I think everybody's fantastic. There is not a weak one in the bunch. I do think uh, my my favorite parts about uh, Ronan is it Vibert Vibert? I don't know how the guy that plays Wolf. Um, mm-hmm. Who's the cinematographer? The first first cinematographer. Yeah. Um, he did a a pretty good performance, but my favorite part of his performance and and my favorite part of his character is when he disappears from the movie and one of the characters I don't remember exactly who it is says, "Well, Wolf is probably dead," uh, which yeah. I love. That's brushed yeah. right over, and now Carrie always is here, um, which I feel like so perfectly exemplifies the the movie system of back then. It's like, well, doesn't matter. We still we still got to finish this picture. We got we got suits giving us money to make it, so we're gonna continue. Um, right. I, I loved that. Uh, Catherine McCormick, I thought, was really good. Uh, she goes from this entitled kind of actor to totally making a fool out of herself in that one scene where she's so high that she doesn't even realize where she is. Yeah. Um, and everybody's coming down to see why she's screaming. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, Gustav has to, like, push everybody back, like, no, 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 don't, just don't, don't come in. And uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine what that was like auditioning for that role and being like this. Well, this is what I'm going to be doing for this my next feature film. Uh, is gonna right. be my role. And I think, <laughs> Dad, I think you're selling Carrie Elway short. I think he does a really good job in this. My favorite beat comes from the part where he's shooting some kind of like second, uh, second team, you know, footage of the of the uh, villagers getting frightened. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he's like, point the camera and wait for my signal. And then he fires a gun and they all look scared. And he's like, perfect. You know, I should have shot slow-mo. And I love the way he describes how to do slow-mo because it was such a right. new concept back then. He's right. great. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying he's bad. Don't get me wrong. I didn't think he was bad. I, I've never, I haven't seen him be bad in anything either. Uh, just you know, maybe personal reasons are creeping in here because I've heard some stories, but anyway, um, but no, he's not, I'm not saying he's not talented, but, um, but I, yeah, I think you're all right. Both right. This whole supporting cast I think is spot on. That's why I was so shocked to see that this director hasn't really done anything since 2007. And that is, that is a shame because this movie and he did begotten, which mm-hmm. is what uh, Nicolas Cage had seen to sort of uh, turn him on to this. He was a very interesting director. And I'm trying to say, th- I know he did something after this. I don't know that it, it, it what, what did he do after um, uh, Shadow of the Vampire? I'm trying to look it up. I know he did. It was, I think it was more like a, 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 high, a l- larger budgeted film. Um, begotten Shadow, Suspect Zero. He did mm-hmm. Suspect Zero in 2004. And that's it. That was his last movie, 2004, yep. because 2007, he, he was doing shorts, videos, yep. you know, and that is a, that's that's a shame. That is really a shame because this guy, uh, he had some major talent. You see this film and um, uh, Begotten, which is, uh, you know, I, I, just such a unique movie. Um, wow. I really I would have liked to have seen him do a lot more. I, I, really I agree. I agree. And Jackson, you'll be happy to know this. Before he did this on his IMDb, he did two videos for Marilyn Manson. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. that that makes sense. That makes total sense. Uh, th- I feel like Marilyn Manson would have been into this movie for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Because, because leading into like the cinematography, the editing, the score, everything, I, I thought it was spot on. I, I, the production design, everything. Doc, you brought up the sound design. Mm. This was obviously a very well-made film from, you know, from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And it really does... Like I said, it create you believe you're watching the making of Nosferatu, yeah. and and that is the, the 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 best part of it. I think that it 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 takes that and gives you this dynamic of because there's that scene where like, like you were saying Jackson where where Murnau realizes that um, that Shrek is stronger than him that that he's that he had that he should be afraid that he can't control Shrek he can't beat Shrek like he thinks he can, but then in the very last scene where Shrek has just dispatched, you know, mm-hmm. other people and he's going after Murnau and Murnau says, please get back in frame. If it's out of frame, oh, yeah. it's not happening. Yeah. That's where, that is where Shrek says, boy, this guy's a little more unhinged than I thought. And Shrek yeah. now is a little afraid of Murnau because now Murnau is playing to his strengths, you know, the director right. and the camera and everything. And now he's got Shrek feeling a little afraid. Mm-hmm. And that's and that ends out being, you know, one of Shrek's last moments. But I loved that. I loved how you had Murnau realizing that he was going up against a monster and then Shrek realizing he was going up against a monster. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you and you see you kind of see that pent up resentment from Murnau, Murnau in that scene where they're filming uh they're filming Orlock's death scene and he's like, Die, you animal, you know, he's screaming at him and all fine hunts. It's like cursing oh. down into the surface. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. love that scene because yep. they are both acting their butts off in that. They are both, you know, it's just a masterclass. Absolutely. Yeah. And Jackson, anything else on the technical aspects? Because I know you pay attention to these things, the cinematography, the editing, the score. What do you want to talk about there, buddy? I do think the score was strong when I noticed it. I think a lot of the times it was just immersive. Uh, it wasn't anything that's going to really catch your ear. But I will say those opening credits, that opening credit sequence was absolutely incredible. That was just like hypnotic. Oh, yeah. And I almost yes. didn't notice that Nicolas Cage's name came on screen because I was looking at those that like 1920s, like art deco kind of style. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's amazing. And then I saw Nicolas Cage and I was like, what? I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. yeah, I the score is really great. It's, it's very it's orchestral and big. Um, but again, it wasn't ear catching. It was just immersive. The sound design I did notice, though. I definitely noticed uh, the sound design. And I do remember that scene where he grabs a bat. It did startle me a little bit. Maybe I didn't jump out of my feet like I would in a theater with surround sound. But right, I, it did right. startle me because it's so out of the blue. You don't expect yes. that to happen. kind of has like an Ozzy yes. Osbourne moment there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, I, I had nothing of... of uh, oh, I... I, I, I <laughs> What I, that, with that scene, if I saw someone ca- catch a bat and start sucking the blood out of it, I would have been terrified. But yeah. Albin, Albin and the writer are both like, the theater needs you, Max. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. And then in a later scene, they're like, they, they excuse it. They're like, he was drunk. Yeah, uh, still, he grabbed that bat out of the, ear, out of the air like Mr. Miyagi with chopsticks. Right. And they ate it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's funny because my son was watching that scene with me. And then Shrek is drinking from the bottle and he gives it back to, to, um, to uh, Udo Kier. Oh. And my son kept saying, 
don't drink out of that bottle, dude. Don't no, drink no. any more out of that bottle. <laughs> I don't care if that's $300 Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. You do not drink <laughs> no. after that. No. Especially after what happened came out of Wuhan. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Oh, man. So, Jackson, what did you think of the cinematography, though? That Just the shooting style and everything. Were you a fan? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, you know, it, it's it was kind of basic. I mean, there wasn't any any shots that that blew me away. The, I thought the color was really good, and and the blocking was really good as well. I will say there were a couple of times where I thought the way that they they edited shots together, like like shot reverse shot, was really interesting. Yeah. But uh, but the th- the thing that intrigued me more was definitely the the other technical like the uh, the score and whatnot. I will say there was one thing that that really intrigued me, and it's one scene where Sh- where Shrek kind of has an aside. I, he may be speaking to the characters just off screen, who I assume is Murnau, but he's basically having an aside to the audience, and he's like, "There was once a time where I drank from golden chalices. I want to see that movie. I want to see uh, yeah. Shrek Orlock." Uh, I want to see him back in the you know medieval age of the king or whatever. That would be awesome. That well, would that would be a really cool film and how he became a vampire because he doesn't remember yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. If it, and unfortunately, as I said, this didn't really make money, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I think it should have been. It made a lot more money and got a lot more buzz and talk than it did. I, you know, unfortunately, you know, if you're listening to this, and you haven't seen it. It's it's not available to stream anywhere for free. Um, I own a DVD. I, I would encourage you a widescreen DVD. I would encourage you to track it down. I mean, Doc, how does this not have a Blu-ray release? Uh, it really should. I agree. It, it should. And it's probably because, like you're saying, it didn't make a lot of money. And I don't know how the DVD did. I bought it as soon as I knew it was available. I bought the DVD. I mean, like I said, I'd seen it on the big screen and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to I got to own this movie. And I mean, I, I would I break it out every once once in a while to watch it. And I usually like to do it as a double feature with Nosferatu. Yeah, you know, yeah I've I done that know. several times. You watch Nosferatu and then you watch this Um that's and you don't need to. You can watch if you're familiar with Nosferatu. You can watch Shadow of the Vampire and mm-hmm. love it. I think, but watching the two of them together, I, it, it brings so much to this film. You know, Nosferatu is what it is. I don't think that this is going to add anything back into Nosferatu. But you, this movie, when you see how they recaptured it, and Ebert is absolutely right. You don't realize if it's real footage or not. And sometimes, you're like, oh wait, I mm-hmm. think that might have been real footage, and you got to bring it back. And like, oh yeah, it was. But you don't always catch that. Oh, and another another really scene that always stays with me that gave me a little bit of an insight into into Murnau. When the woman comes rushing in when they're filming uh, Gustav when he woke up and mm-hmm. was reading the book and she goes rushing in, hey doctor, because they took the cross down. Albert, a native has wandered into my frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh man. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's just fantastic. It's just yeah. fantastic. Well, all right. Well, what else do we want to talk about with Shadow of the Vampire? Jackson, you have anything else in your notes, buddy? Uh, let me see. I for The one thing that I thought that this movie did really well was the genre blend. Because it, it does, it blends comedy, horror, 
uh, kind of this like celebration of film with a drama. It, it blends it all very well together because it starts off kind of lighthearted. Even with Willem Dafoe's character, he's kind of like endearing and it's, it's, you're kind of having, having a fun time. But by the end, you're left really melancholy. Like it ends like he's accomplished this picture, but at what cost? And right. uh, it, it left me with a great deal of emotion. And uh, it's it, it just very surprising to me. It, you look back on what the movie really was, and it was a, a fictionalized account of how a 1922 horror movie was made. And somehow yeah. it manages to just play with your emotions so well. Uh, and I, I really do think it's masterful and is totally overlooked. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a hidden gem because I feel like a lot of people, a lot of horror fans have seen it at least yeah. once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's underappreciated by the wide masses. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. agree. I, I agree. Even even with its Oscar nomination for Willem Dafoe, um, because even then, you know how they they like when they announce the nominees and you get like the loud applause. I think it was just sort of a smattering of applause when Dafoe was mentioned for his mm-hmm. performance in this, because I because most people hadn't seen it. You know, most most people in in the Academy had not seen it. Um, and I agree with you. And I, that last moment, I mean, I, it had me thinking last, last night when, when the movie's done and you're, they're lingering on Murnau's face. And that last, you know, you, you think you're going to see satisfaction, but there's none. Mm-hmm. Because maybe this hasn't dealt with those demons the way he did as much as it brought them out. So it's like, it's like that last moment when you're looking at Murnau's face that he did not get the satisfaction or what he was looking for with this movie. If anything, it expanded what he was, you know, what, what he was maybe either running from or hoping to get over or hoping to explore. He now is, is to the point where it, it wasn't there. So it's almost like a tragedy right at the end Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. It's a tragedy and there's just so much going on in this movie. And it's one that, that, and I didn't even see that until watching it again last night. And that, that, that last moment thinking that, wow, they're really showing that he is not happy. He, he finished this movie. That is what he was driving for. That is why people died. So he can yeah. make this movie. And maybe that's hitting him now. You know, that yeah. the, the monster is dead, but not, you know, not the true monster. Wow. Yeah. Holy crap. Well said. Well said. Absolutely. So, yeah, Jackson, buddy, anything else before we rate and review this sucker? Uh, I guess just just one thing. I, I was shocked that, I mean, this is the perfect target for a, a movie like this. I'm surprised more people haven't done this kind of film because when you're 78 uh, years removed at the time, 78 years, and that's what I was thinking of earlier, You, they were 78 years away from Nosferatu at the time they were making this movie, or, right. or 79 who even really knows what happened on that set? So it's yeah. like you you could have put anything and people would have believed it. Um, so it's the perfect target. I would love to see this with other silent films from that from that time because I think that could be a really uh, interesting. Co- Obviously, you can't do the same gimmick of oh the the character was actually the thing they were portraying. But right. I would like to see that kind of thing. I love movies about making movies. I do too. Yeah, yeah me too. Me too. And that's one of the things that drew me to this. I mean, just hearing my friend describe that quick synopsis of, oh, it's a, they're, they're saying Shrek was an actual vampire and we're now brought in a real vampire to play an actor playing a vampire. I said, oh, we got to see this. You know, that alone mm-hmm. right there. And, and I love that about and, and, and to fictionalize it like that, I think, is is really cool. We get a lot of 
of, of sort of dramatic representations. I'm thinking of, uh, what was that one? I, I think it's how to get the man's foot out of your ass. The one that, uh, Melvin, uh, Mario Van Peebles about the, <laughs> the shooting of his father's sweet, sweet backs, badass song. Yeah. How, that, that's a really fun movie too. And that's a great movie. And that's a behind the scenes, like a dramatic account of what went on on a movie set or an actual movie set. Yeah. But this one is blending fiction and, and you're right, uh, Jackson, we don't know what happened on that set. We don't know, you know, uh, what actually transpired, what was said, but watching this, you can, you can, you feel as if, yes, this is, this is kind of how it went down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. And Jackson, I agree. I love movies about movie making and whether it's fictionalized like this or like I, one of the movies I was really looking forward to watching this fall and now won't get to see probably till next year is David Fincher's next movie, Mank, about Herman Mankiewicz and the making yes. of Citizen Kane. You know, oh, wow, yes. I can't yes. wait to see that. And I, so, would, I can't either. That's going to be awesome. Absolutely, because I've, I've loved everything David Fincher's done. So, As a matter of fact, what I hear, um, uh, Mankiewicz, mm-hmm. I think John Malkovich, because he played him in RKO 281, which oh, was also about right. the making. I forgot of, um, about that. That's right. Yeah. That was an HBO movie, I think. And, and Lee yes. Schreiber, I think, played Orson Welles in that. Yep. Yeah, which is another good movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, folks, I think you probably know where we're going here with our ratings and recommendations at this point. So, Doc, on a scale of 1 out of 10, what do you give Shadow I, of the Empire? I got to give it a 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you got to own this. I was toying with the idea of a 9.5 because if there's one thing I could have wished for the movie, I would have liked to have seen them shoot some of Knox scenes. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's ignored. Been, yeah. It wouldn't have really mattered to the story because that's not what it was about. It wasn't as much about the shooting of Nosferatu as it was about the dynamic between these two characters. But how cool would it have been to see them shoot some with Knock and see what yeah. he was like offset? Well, hopefully one of these days, uh, some, uh, somebody who knows what they're doing, like Justin Beam, will get us a Blu-ray, and maybe there are deleted scenes out there. Oh, that, that, that would be oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that would be – I would love to see that uh, – if, if that exists, if there is another – if there are deleted scenes, I'd love to see them. Absolutely. So, Jackson, where are you coming in at, buddy? I'm coming in at 9.5. I do think it's an amazing movie. My one flaw with it, actually, is that I, I really wish we could have seen the vampire death itself, like what the aftermath of that, because in Nosferatu, he, he dissipates and then he's just a burning pile of ash. I want to see if they if in this fictionalized account they would have actually captured that if that was actually how the vampire died or if that was a special effect added in later, uh, which I thought that that was a missed opportunity. They could have done something cool with that. But this is a very effective movie, uh, very dramatic. And I was along. For, I've seen it twice now and, and I watched it once, like I said, in German and I was still completely invested. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I call it a 9.5. I say buy it. Uh, I don't own it, but I have rented it twice. So that, sh- that tells you how much I love it. So, uh, yeah, I-, I-, I definitely recommend it. Nice. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm, I'm here with Doc. It's a 10 out of 10 uh, for me. I own the DVD, and I want a Blu-ray. Please, folks, get us a Blu-ray. So, yes. All right, folks, we will reveal what we are covering next in a moment. But first, Doc, where can people find you online? Uh same place always. I'm dvdinfatuation.com. I am posting uh, new reviews over there now once a week. Uh, every Thursday, a new review will post over there. Um, 
and I'm doing something new, capsule reviews, where I'm actually doing five short reviews. Yes. And uh, in a uh, in a theme. And awesome. I have uh, those, a lot of those planned out, actually. And some of them for movies I'm going to be watching this Halloween. I can't wait, uh, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, uh, so DVDinfatuation.com. Uh, I am on Twitter, at DVDinfatuation. I have uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, Letterboxd. Uh, I have my YouTube channel. I haven't added anything in, in a little bit, but I do have um, some ideas of uh, some videos I'll be posting out there. Uh, and other podcasts, of course, with uh, with Greg Amortis and then Big Bill Van Bagel uh, on uh, Land of the Creeps, which you can find at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Uh, and the horror movie podcast with uh, Wolfman Josh and Gilman Joel. There we go. And be sure, folks, to lobby Darcy for that silver bolo award for land of the creeps we want that to happen so no yeah that was that and greg definitely deserves it he absolutely a- does absolutely he has been podcasting he was um and i mentioned this um in uh, the episode 200 hmp's 200 it's been delayed a little bit um just because there's some kind of things uh, seeing things going on with josh and you know he's just having some issues with with getting it out there but it has been recorded one of the first two people, um, well, Greg Amortis was on the very first time I ever logged on to talk about being on a podcast. Greg was one of the fir- was the first person I talked to. Oh, wow. You know, him him, and, and, and it was him and Bill Shetty, actually. They called me. They wanted to see how my voice sounded because I'd only ever done anything <laughs> with email from them. They didn't know how I sounded. They wanted to make sure I sounded OK. Gotcha. You know, and I didn't have a squeaky voice or something. And they both agreed, okay, no, he sounds pretty good. He can be on. And that's when I, you know, was on uh, uh, Planet Macabre. And it just sort of took off from there. But Greg was one of the first, one of the two first people I ever talked to when even anything about podcasting. And he was on my very, the very first podcast I was on. And I've known him for a long time. He's a great guy. Yeah. And he just, he loves horror. And he's so upbeat. He's, 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 he really just wants to promote it. And he... He deserves it. He deserves the silver bolo. I think. Um, I agree. Absolutely, he should. He should get it. I agree. I've tweeted at Darcy twice, and she does follow me. So we'll see what happens. But cool. anyway, awesome. um, we want to thank our Patreons for supporting the podcast, and you listeners can become one for as little as two dollars and fifty cents a month. And you can find Jackson and I at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and on Twitter at fatherandsonhorror, and we have a closed Facebook group and. Where can people find you, Jackson? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's one word. I just want to say, go listen to the newest Land of the Creeps episode on Edgar Allan Poe movies. Uh, I'm listening to it, and it's absolutely fantastic. I'm having a great time. And another reason for Land of the Creeps to get the Silver Bolo, we need Dr. Shock to have two Silver Bolos after HMP and Land of the Creeps. First ever two-time winner, baby. That would be... Wouldn't that be awesome for you to be the first ever winner of the of the silver bullet twice? I, I would be like floored. Yeah, <laughs> that would I I appreciate. Thank you very much for that. I really I really appreciate that. And you know, winning it with HMP, I, that was that was quite. I, I woke up uh, in the morning and I looked at my phone and it was it was a text from Josh just saying silver bolo award winner. <laughs> and, I was like, huh. and then I get on Facebook and everybody was congratulating me. Um, <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I didn't even get to see, you know, I, I didn't even get to see Joe Bob that night. And then I missed that whole thing. And uh, I, I uh, yes, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. And that would be absolutely amazing to yeah, uh, absolutely. to to be on the two two podcasts that have won it. 
Well deserved, sir. Well deserved. Well, thank so, you. Right, so do you cover everything there, Jackson, where they can find you at? Uh, I have a YouTube channel that's yeah. the same as my letterbox. It's floating around. But uh, important, the Father and Son Watch Horror uh, YouTube channel is going to have a new video on it very soon uh, where I rank and review 12 Mario Bava movies that I there watched we in a week. Awesome. Uh, so, so go and subscribe to that. Check that out when it comes out. Uh, I'm very excited for you guys to see that because I did watch hours and hours of Bava for that very reason. And, uh, uh, I, and I can't wait to hear what you think of Black Sunday. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I actually went back and listened to your uh, Land of the Creeps coverage of early Bava after watching it to get a new perspective on it because I thought that was important. So, oh, cool. yeah, definitely looking forward to you guys hearing that. Um, yeah. So that'll be up there soon. Beautiful. Awesome. So I can be found as Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. And folks, coming up for the Halloween season, our Patreons have spoken and we are doing a franchise review of scream yes. so scream one right. two three and four this october that is what is coming from the late great wes craven so doc thanks again for being on it's always just a it's always just a blast to have you on thank you so much and i i come back anytime you guys want i always have a, a great time talking with you and then i learn something I, 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 I learned something every episode. I learned quite a bit this episode and, and something about Willem Dafoe that I... There, there you go. <laughs> well, you, know, you know to keep your wife away from Willem Dafoe. That's absolutely. what you know. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye. And remember not to eat the script, girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time, remember... The family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time.